cast a pebble into the pond of human experience that has continued to reverberate in ever wider rings. To understand his crucial importance to the world's one billion Catholics, his remarkable influence on Christians everywhere, and his effect on human hopes and happiness, we must spend some time retracing the long and labyrinthine history of the papacy which gave him his platform. Part 1. Before John from congregation to church to standard of orthodoxy. Vatican propaganda notwithstanding, Peter was never bishop of Rome. In the five narrative books with which the New Testament begins, the four Gospels and the Acts of the Apostles, Peter is given prominence, a prominence that would later be interpreted as his primacy over the other bishops of the primitive church. But the early church communities had a congregational structure, like the synagogues from which they sprang. The word bishop, episkopos, or superintendent in Greek, was at first interchangeable with the word elder, presbyteros, from which we derive our word priest, and did not signify rule over others. After the death of the apostles, who had been the chief witnesses to Jesus' life and teaching, and under the pressure of bizarre heresies and the consequent need to establish a voice of orthodoxy within each community, the churches of the late first century began to single out an episcopos to take doctrinal charge of each local church. The Christian community at Rome, however, seems not to have adopted this strategy till toward the middle of the second century. The first man who can be designated Bishop of Rome with historical certainty is Anicetus, who stands eleventh in the Vatican's somewhat fanciful list of early popes, and who served from 155 to his death circa 166 weakening considerably the claim of Peter, who died a hundred years earlier. But Peter did die at Rome, crucified during the first widespread persecution of Christians under the emperor Nero, and his bones surely lie beneath the high altar of St. Peter's Basilica, beside which John Twenty-Third stood to deliver his address of welcome to the council fathers. Rome's possession of these bones, along with those of the other great martyr of the primitive church, Paul, a rabbi converted to the new form of Judaism that would become Christianity, and a missionary of such overreaching devotion that he was belatedly given the title Apostle, would become in the generation after Anicetus the foundation of the Roman Church's universal prominence. By the time of Irenaeus of Lyon, who wrote in the last quarter of the second century, Rome had become the pilgrimage center of the Christian world on account of its shrines to the two martyred apostles, who were now imagined to have founded the Roman church by shedding their blood, though there were Christian communities at Rome prior to their arrival there. And Rome's bishop was seen, at least by some, as final arbiter in disputes throughout the Christian world. For Irenaeus, as no doubt for many others, the church of Rome was already the great and illustrious church, and every other church, that is, the faithful everywhere, must resort to this church on account of its preeminent authority, in which the apostolic tradition has been preserved without interruption. Thus, within a hundred and fifty years of Jesus' crucifixion, within seventy-five years of the last of the New Testament writings, there was a well-attested tradition that the Church of Rome in the person of its bishop was the most reliable bulwark against doctrinal error, and the last court of appeal in any matter that could not be settled locally. If the Petrine succession, 
the monarchical succession of the long line of popes from the Apostle Peter, is little more than wish-fulfillment, it must be admitted that the roots of the Roman bishopric are ancient and most venerable, springing from the soil of the post-apostolic age, the age in which the Church as a whole took on the form of organization it would preserve to our day. After Anicetus, a Syrian, there came to the bishop's chair one Soter, circa 166 to circa 174, a Latin-speaking Christian and probably a Roman aristocrat, then Eleutherius, circa 174 to circa 189, a Greek, then Victor, 189 to 98, an African, all pointing up the cosmopolitan multicultural quality of the Roman Church, which enabled it to express an earnest ecumenical concern for all Christians wherever they were. We greet you with the deepest concern, keeping watch over all who call on the name of the Lord, a letter to the North African churches put it, a letter written by a committee of Roman Christians during a vacancy in the episcopacy caused by the brutal imprisonment and death of Bishop Fabian, 235-236, during the persecution of the Emperor Decius. Though in this early period the Roman Church was often seen as the common standard of orthodoxy, its orthodoxy was too flexible for many less elastic Christians. The Bishop of Rome was often criticized for being too easy-going toward heretics and too forgiving toward sinners. Though Victor made a great fuss trying to get all the churches to observe Easter on the same date, even briefly excommunicating the Asian churches that kept their own separate tradition, Bishop Callistus, circa 217 to 222, far more typical of the Roman bishopric in this period, sent his more rigid contemporaries into tizzies by ordaining men who had been married more than once, allowing marriages between partners of different social classes, and welcoming everyone to the Eucharist, even those who had lapsed during the persecution. His critics favored purer priests, segregation by economic class, and lifelong penance for public sin. If it is easy for us to see that Callistus was closer in spirit to the views of Jesus, his critics saw no such thing, any more than the critics of John the Twenty-Third would acknowledge that he was simply following the gospel, and they were not. For all the honor and status accorded Rome in the church's early centuries, it was never imagined as unique among churches, only primus inter pares, first in honor among equals. Other churches, especially those with ancient bishoprics, like Antioch, Ephesus, Corinth, Alexandria, and Carthage, behaved more or less as Rome did, sending letters of encouragement and admonishment to younger, less distinguished churches, offering monetary support, excommunicating when necessary. Bishops of the older metropolitan churches tended to be addressed as Papa, or Pope, a title that in the Western Church was used as a form of address to all bishops, and in parts of the East to all priests, and would not be reserved to the Bishop of Rome till well into the eleventh century. But all the bishops were seen as successors to Jesus' apostles, sharing apostolic responsibility for all the churches, and sharing also the apostolic power, which was unitary and indivisible, because it descended ultimately from Jesus, the Way. Nor was criticism a one-way street that could be employed only by a greater church against a lesser. In the midst of a raging controversy about whether it was necessary to rebaptize penitents who had lapsed during persecution, the African churches, gathered under their unrelenting metropolitan bishop Cyprian, 
the Pope of Carthage, condemned the more flexible position of Stephen, Bishop of Rome, in three overwrought synods, accusing Stephen of setting himself up as a bishop of bishops, and exercising the powers of a tyrant to force his colleagues into obedience. Stephen replied serenely that he was Peter, the living representative of the first Peter, to whom Jesus had promised, You are Peter, rock in the Greek of the New Testament, and upon this rock I will build my church. Here we have, midway through the third century, the first instance in the historical record of a Roman bishop asserting an authority greater and different than that of other bishops. Cyprian was unimpressed, though in fact his attitude toward the nature of Rome's authority waxed and waned over the course of his lifetime. The dispute was never settled because both the Roman bishop and his African opponent were about to enter the catalogue of saints, Stephen by natural causes in 257, Cyprian by his heroic martyrdom the following year. As will happen many times over in the life of the church, death resolves the unresolvable. The Imperial Church the hand of empire was shaping churches not only by persecution, sometimes instigated by local imperial officials, sometimes by the emperor himself, but also by the occasional positive intervention of the emperor in ecclesiastical affairs. By the time Constantine wrested the imperial throne from his rival Maxentius at the Battle of the Milvian Bridge in October 312, the Roman Church had nearly three centuries of history behind it, Centuries of service to the poor and to peace, certainly, but also centuries of lively and sometimes deadly controversy and contentiousness. It had had its share of episcopal martyrs, even of bishops who had abdicated or perished in times of persecution.